Hello, my name is Wendy Myers. Welcome to the podcast. Today we have Dr. Nick Baboulis on the show. He's going to be talking about low-dose immunotherapy, why our immune systems are malfunctioning today far more than they used to in the past. So many people are suffering. We're going to find out why and what you can do about it, uh, what health conditions can be dramatically improved, the symptoms relieved with low-dose immunotherapy. Dr. Nick Baboulis completed his undergraduate degree in chemistry, specializing in pharmaceutical and biological chemistry. Before entering into a life of medicine, he worked in the pharmaceutical industry for a contract research company doing drug discovery as a medicinal chemist. He then went on to complete his medical training at the Canadian College of Naturopathic Medicine in Toronto, Canada. Dr. Baboulis is a fully qualified, board-certified, licensed naturopathic physician practicing in the greater uh, Toronto area in Ontario, Canada. Dr. Babula's experiences have shaped his philosophy on how to view illness and the patient. Uh, therefore, he tries to understand the patient's current pathological state from bioregulatory, biological, medical standpoint. Dr. Babulis' style is eclectic, where he utilizes whatever modalities best fit his patient's current condition. And he understands educating his patients and making them feel empowered in making decisions about their health is an important part of their health journey, especially with dealing or when dealing with cro complex chronic illness. To serve his patients, uh, he especially those with complex chronic illness, Dr. Babulis understands that education is a continuous process and he does his best to keep up with the latest developments in his field. You can learn more about Dr. Nick Baboulis at irinihealthsolutions.ca. That's spelled E-I-R-I-N-I healingsolutions.ca. Dr. Baboulis, thank you so much for coming on the show. Well, thank you very much for having me, Wendy, today. I really appreciate that. Why don't you tell the listeners a little about yourself and how you got into health and kind of like the work that you do? Okay, so I guess uh, originally I was uh, a medicinal chemist in the pharmaceutical industry, and I was doing that for a little while. And then after I kind of had a paradigm shift, and it was because of uh, family conditions. So my sister, um, Katerina Babula, she she got uh, she got ill at a after her university career, and that kind of changed my projection in terms of the way I was thinking of going forward. And because uh, I wanted to go back to school, but I realized after that that I needed to do more with my life. So then I decided to go into naturopathic medicine, and from then on, I just started. Uh, I applied to school, I got in, I, I got to the program, and then I kept going. And then through her illness, because she was the one that kind of really propelled um, my education in terms of outside of school, and I just kept doing courses because the more things that would benefit her, the more I realized I had to learn them and be uh, proficient at them. So that's what kind of uh, has driven me today in terms of working with complex chronic illness also too. Yeah, and Katerina, I know her. She's got a great Facebook uh, uh, Facebook group called Healing Together. And there's yes, a lot of right. really great cutting edge information in there. I learn a lot in there as well. I really enjoy it. So today we're going to be talking about low-dose immunotherapy. I thought it was a really interesting topic that I've heard talk about in the Healing Together Facebook group. So let's talk about what that is and how it works. Okay, so I guess uh, low-dose immunotherapy, they, they consider it LDI, um, it's a, an immune desensitization therapy. So what it does, it creates immunological tolerance in a simple perspective. So I'll just give you a little bit of background in terms of the history of it, just so people can understand it and where it comes from. So originally, um, back in Europe, in the UK, there was a doctor named uh, 
Dr. McEwen, he started something called enzyme potential desensitization, which was EPD. And that was based on utilizing an enzyme called beta-glucuronidase to help, um, as a chemokine, um, desensitize people to different uh, environmental allergies with the specific allergens that he utilized. And that helped a lot of people. And then um, it was then brought to North America, but more specifically to the U.S. by Dr. Schrader from uh, New Mexico. And he then, he kind of optimizes the therapy and he kind of now calls it LDA, which is low-dose allergy immunotherapy, which is then hence goes on to just in general immunotherapy, which is like LDI. And then after that, Dr. Ty Vincent, he's the one that kind of took it to the next level in terms of wondering, saying, if we're utilizing these different antigens to kind of desensitize people to environmental allergies, can we do that with different microbes? Because we know in the literature, there's a lot of microbial triggers that create autoimmune conditions. And his thought was, how do we do this for different pathologies? So that's where he started to kind of play with different uh, microbes that he would get from uh, different microbiology labs and utilize them at much diluted doses to see if they would actually have any effect on his patients. And then he started seeing results, so he started making more kind of uh, mixtures of different microbes from viruses to bacteria to uh, parasites and then even to like different chemicals and all that stuff. And he started getting uh, these results for these different unique conditions that people wouldn't be able to really treat that easily. So it was very interesting in that regard, I would say, overall. So that that's kind of the basics of, of where it is kind of today in a sense. And so what kind of conditions can LDI help treat? So in a simple term, like what we can kind of look at it as is immune-mediated inflammatory conditions. So that's kind of a very broad term, but that can incorporate different autoimmune conditions. So you can say um, IBD, so early bowel disease, so Crohn's colitis, um, even from women's health, so endometriosis to um, interstitial cystitis. Those are very hard to treat, but Dr. Tai has seen that it's been very effective for that population especially, um, and also for different um, um, arthritic conditions or pain conditions, so rheumatoid arthritis, uh, psoriatic arthritis, reactive arthritis, even ankylosing spondylitis, and then, of course, the, the bigger ones in terms of the chronic fatigue uh, syndrome and also fibromyalgia, but you can consider it complex chronic illness, and that includes kind of Lyme disease too. But also, you can even go further and say even to the autism spectrum disorders, so it's very helpful in that regard too, and also in neuropsychiatric conditions, so even pandas to pans, and over just anxiety and depression. But there's it's such a huge list that it's hard to say like every condition that it can, but there's a possibility if it's immune-mediated in a sense. And I'm assuming food sensitivities and food allergies can benefit as well? Definitely. So that's the LDA part. So the LDA was the low dose allergy immunotherapy. It's based on the environmental aspects and incorporating that is food sensitivities for sure. Yeah. And say multiple chemical sensitivities. Exactly. So there's three different, um, there's three different LDAs available through the pharmacy. And that is uh, ones for foods that they're considered there's a low dose and there's a medium dose. And there's also one uh, for inhalants. So that's for like any kind of seasonal allergies, pollen allergies, uh, even to like a cat dander or even just animal danders and molds. And then there's also a chemical mixture, which is more for the fact of like you're saying, for chemical sensitivities. But also, I think there's also maybe nickel in it, so even metal sensitivities to some degree too. Interesting. Very interesting. I know nickel is one of the number one metal sensitivities that people can have. And your symptoms are far worse if you have a sensitivity to nickel or an allergy to nickel. Your symptoms will be worse uh, you know, if you have nickel in your body than someone who's not sensitive. So what's contained in the LDI? Uh, so what kind of doses is it administered at? And can you give us a little bit more information about that? 
Okay, so like in general, there's two branches of the the LDI in a sense. There's the environmental branch, like we talked about a little bit, and there's the the microbial branch, and then there's another branch which is kind of like everything else you can think of that can possibly help a person. So in terms of the like we said, in terms of the environmental stuff, there's the inhalant mixtures, there's a food mixture, and there's a chemical mixture. You can desensitize people to any of those sensitivities. And then from the microbial aspect of it, there's many different. Um, uh, antigens available um, that Dr. Tai has put together and also Dr. Schrader. He originally had four different ones that he had that worked very well for different autoimmune conditions. So he had Yersinia, which is also known to be associated with Hashimoto's. Um, uh, he has, I think he has PK, which is the Proteus and Klebsiella, which he's seen uh, to help ankylosing spondylitis. And then I think there's a uh, bacterioides and then there's one other one and strep strep is the big one that we can see with like ocd um sometimes anxiety even pans and pandas and things of that nature and then dr uh, ty vincent from alaska who now lives in hawaii he kind of like started going on his own uh, way of, of making things and started getting all these microbes from a microbiology lab and started making these different mixtures based on his literature findings of what triggers these autoimmune conditions. And now we have available like over 24 different mixtures. Some of them are like mycobacteria, clostridia. We have Lyme that has all the co-infections in one, but also separated out. So you have Ehrlichia, Babesia, Bartonella, Borrelia, and so on and so forth. And you have a yeast mixture, which is pretty huge. Like these are the top two ones for that hit a broad range of symptoms are, are Lyme and yeast with a, a min, the majority of the population. But his yeast mixture was made because he saw that a lot of people had these yeast sensitivities where sometimes you would you would do a candida cleanser or anything like that and you feel great for a little while, but then you revert, your symptoms would revert back. And there was a reason for it because the the terrain is not really fixed. You're just, you're just decreasing the microbial load or the antigenic load, but you're not really getting at the problem. So he realized that if you can desensitize yourself to yeast, you can actually ameliorate the symptoms, depending what they are, because they're very broad and it, it's very it's it's very unique. Because you can have burning hands, feet syndrome to like uh, brain fog, to joint arthritis, and it's very unique for each individual. We just have to figure out what trigger um, each person actually has in terms of their microbe that might be affecting them. And then he has even from varicella, he has vaccines that he's diluted to in terms of for insults, maybe on autistic children or any anybody else in a sense too, that it, that might have. Um, started this process of this chronic disease after that kind of catalytic event. And he also has like HSV 1 and 2. He has, uh, I think, uh, H. pylori, uh, Epstein-Barr, cytomegalovirus. Uh, he has a, a great mixture for skin flora. So skin flora bacteria, I think he has staph, strep, and other ones in there that are specific to like acne. And he's, it works very well for acne overall too. And there's many other ones in there too. But it's, the, the purpose is that there's there's parasites, there's uh, viruses, and there's bacteria that he's kind of come up with and played with and, and made specific mixtures that can benefit different conditions or different symptoms in that regard too. Interesting. So what is the hardest part of utilizing LDI and LDA? Are there any kind of challenges you've, you've come up against with, with using it in your patient population? Well, I'll try to take you through the process of how I kind of pick one and then like kind of how I how we set it up or how they take it. And then it'll make more sense in terms of the challenges involved. So I guess starting off at this point, it's very hard to correlate um, any kind of blood work to actually the ones that have been, the, the LDIs that, that are needed. Because sometimes you can have some, like I think the majority of the population probably has mycoplasma positive, but it doesn't mean that they're actually showcasing the symptoms of it in a sense, right? So it's hard to really correlate lab work to actual um, a symptom picture and also to the LDI that's needed for that condition or that person. So what we try to do from Dr. Tai's perspective, especially that's what I've learned from him, is that you try to take a great history in terms of understanding of what's happening in the case and then utilizing those symptoms 
figuring out what kind of pattern is happening. And based on that pattern, does it correlate with like Lyme? Does it correlate with yeast? Does it correlate with um, Epstein-Barr? And then it's really trial and error. I know it sounds kind of horrible sometimes because you're really doing that. But the whole point is that if you have a good understanding of microbiology and immunology a little bit, then you can have a you can hone in better and, and really um, kind of focus um, which LDI might be needed. So once we choose the right LDI in a sense or the LDI that we think is best, what we do is then we start uh, – we start titrating, or what that means is start giving a dose, a weaker dose, and we're trying to go towards their their optimal dose that will ameliorate their symptoms. So that's a titration. We're going from a weaker to a stronger dose until we find the dose that really does help them in terms of their symptom picture. So there's three terms in LDI. There's titration, there's a booster, and there's a core dose. That's what we consider it as. So the titration is, like we said, we're just trying to find the, the right dose. And then once we hit the right dose that ameliorates most of their symptoms, um, then that's considered the core dose. And how you kind of um, dose it is that you do it every seven weeks. So at first, as you're going through the process, if we don't, if we're trying to find the core dose, we kind of give a dose every seven to ten days. So after ten days or seven days, patient will get back to me based on a kind of a, I give them a handout in terms of a symptom tracker. They write down all their symptoms. They tell me better, worse, or no change, and then by how much and for how long. So because especially with people with brain fog, it's very hard for them to kind of write down their symptoms and remember what happened over the week. But as much information as I can get back, that'll allow me to have a better understanding if something did happen or didn't. And if it, if there's nothing happened, then we move on to the stronger dose. That's what we keep doing. If something did happen, then we wait and we see how much betterment there was and for how long. Because the whole point is we try to give you a stronger dose when something good happened, you'll flare. And that'll be a bad thing. We'll talk about what a flare means later on. But the, the goal is that we try to reach that core dose and then Within that time frame of seven weeks, we see how long does it last in that seven weeks. If it doesn't last, say, for too long, but only lasts for maybe a week of, a, of symptom relief, then we use something called a booster dose. And the booster dose is that it's a more weaker dose than the core dose. So, example, if we use um, something like a 23C, and that's our core dose, we know that that's the one that takes away 80% of our symptoms, but it only lasts for one week in that seven-week period. What we do is we try to give you a a weaker dose, which is our booster dose, which could be something like 24C, which is weaker than that. It's 100 times weaker. So based on the math of it, if you think your core dose is 23 and that equals 100, then we're giving you 1% of that. So we're trying to increase it kind of um, to see where you lie exactly and how much benefit you get. Because sometimes even a 1% increase will give you two weeks benefit sometimes for some patients. So that's what we utilize that. And we try to do that within the seven-week period as, as needed, but we don't want to do it too late in the seven-week period because of the fact that the reason we have the seven-week period is because the the T reg cells they kind of um, they kind of uh, have the life cycle of every seven weeks. So every like 50 to 60 days, there's a new life cycle, so that new ones come out. So if we give it later on, it can still progress to the new core dose we give them. So that can um, possibly fare them if they're too close to the core dose because then if their core dose is 100% of what they need, we might be giving 110%. So that might be a bad thing and be too strong for them. So we have to think about all these things while we're doing it too. But simply put, we try to play with that kind of area and then we give it every seven weeks. And if all the symptoms haven't kind of got ameliorated, then we know, okay, say yeast did 80-70% of the the positive stuff, we have to go to the next mixture and figure out what else is possibly causing the rest of your symptoms and, and treat them in that regard too. And so how long does someone need to, to do this? So you said like an initial phase is about like seven weeks. Is this something people continue to do just to ameliorate symptoms or what is the kind of treatment protocol? 
Yeah. So in terms of the treatment, so the hardest part about this, I think, is finding the right dose. Like we're getting back to that too, because once we know what maybe antigen might be helpful, it's finding that right dose, and that can take some time. Because if we flare, we have to wait seven weeks before we give that antigen again. So that means we we know, but the biggest thing behind flaring is that it tells us it gives us information. So that's one positive thing for some patients who. They're, they're open to that, is that it showcases that whatever got worse in your symptom picture will get better when we find the right dose of that. So that's the biggest thing behind it. Um, and then in terms of um, doing this, it's very simple because all it is is under the tongue. So you're taking, I'll show you, I have one here. So these are like the, the, the concentrations I have, the different dilutions I have. And, and this is a LDI dose. So you use a, a insulin syringe and it's only four units on the syringe and you just spray it under the tongue. Like we said, if it's once a week until we find the right dose or if it's kind of a every seven weeks, it's pretty simple. And if some for some people, once we find the right dose, they might need less often because we just give it to them when their symptoms come back. That's the whole point. You don't have to give it to them if their symptoms aren't coming back. But the goal is, of course, every seven weeks for the first, say, couple of months in terms of them to, to create that tolerance. And then after, the goal is also to have it given less often. That's the overall thing in, in terms of what we're trying to do. And in terms of the dilutions involved, um, I think Dr. Tai went back to like homeopathy to some degree because he uses a C potency. So that's like 100 to 1 dilutions. So that's why you have, I can you can see all those vials I have there. I have like, so that's a lime mixture and that's 25 uh, different uh, doses I have for lime because I start at 5, which is we consider the 5 or 4 the weakest or the, sorry, the strongest dose that if it doesn't work at 4 or 5 C, then that means that it probably won't work for them. And there's something else that has to be given. Um, and then uh, for for Lyme, it's a very broad range because it goes from anywhere from 5C to 30C or even above for some people. So now you're going above Avogadro's constant in terms of the molecular aspect of the therapy. Because once you go past 12C, it's, that's 10 to the 24. So you're past Avogadro's constant, which is 10 to the 23 in a sense. So what it really is, the, the, that means there's something energetic within it also. So it's not just this, just this, these molecules that are creating this immunological tolerance, but there's possibly this resonance happening all at the same time that's actually resonating with the body that's creating that, that tolerance in the immune system. We don't know exactly the mechanism. We think in terms of the, the theoretical immunological tolerance, but how that occurs, because once you get past that number, it's pure energetics. So, yes. so, that's, so that's why it's, I know you know, because in terms of nest and all that, the energetic, the, the biofield and all that stuff. So it's really crazy in terms of what it can do and what, what are the possibilities are with it. Because every time we actually dilute it, you have to succuss it. So like back Hahnemann, he used to succuss, I think, every um, homeopathic remedy 99 times on a leather-backed Bible like hardcore. So I just, I do it 33 <laughs> times. I don't know why I do it 33 times, but that's just the number I chose and I do it. But like even Ty says, that's the way he does it too. He has to like, he has to succuss it a minimum amount of times. And that's where he feels like that energetic imprint is put into the next vial at the same time. So not just the molecular aspect of it, but just also the energetic imprint. And that's what we're kind of looking at in terms of how there's something more than just the, the molecular aspect of the therapy. Because like we said, if once you get past 12C, that's kind of in the energetic realm. So it's more about resonance then. There's yeah, something in imprint. And that's how everything works. I mean, everything works energetically. Exactly, yeah. Everything does. So, and LDI is no exception. And pharmaceuticals work energetically and physically to a certain degree. I think they're, you know, can poison you to a certain degree. <laughs> uh, but we, we need medications. We definitely need medications. Definitely. Um, so, because that's what everybody wants. They want their symptoms relieved. You know, a lot of people, they can't get rid of Lyme or they just have to deal with it and ameliorate their symptoms, mitigate their symptoms as much as possible so that they can function. And exactly. so I think it's a great way to, to 
relieve symptoms so that you can live your life while you're trying to address the underlying root cause and eradicate the illness or uh, reduce its symptoms. So you said that LDI can make some uh, patients have flares and make their symptoms worse. So let's talk mm -hmm. a little about that and maybe a realistic um, expectation that people have to have because like, for instance, when people are detoxing, sometimes the metals and whatnot, they have a flare of the various symptoms that they're trying to get rid of. But uh, when you're, uh, you know, doing different types of protocols, you may have flares from time to time. Can you talk about that? Yeah, definitely. So the goal is never to flare an individual, especially a patient, because you want to you want to build trust the first thing. So for me, from what I've, because I've, I've got a chance to like to to learn through, through Dr. Tai too in terms of like following him with patients, but at the same time, I've got to see what other practitioners have have done, what where they've have gone wrong, and now based on it, I always start weak. I always start at a weak dose because it's safer to take your time to find the right dose, that core dose, instead of try to uh, push it too fast, too strong. Because what happens, like we said, if we flare you, you have to wait seven weeks to take that 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 dose. So a flare can mean a worsening of their general symptoms it can be maybe for a couple of hours it can be for a day it can be up to a week it depends but that's good information at the same time because if it's for like an hour that means okay we're very close to the actual dose that we might be giving you if it's for a day we're still close but we still have to kind of really back off a little bit but if it's for a week we have to back off much more maybe even a million to one or, or even a trillion to one just in case in terms of we don't want to aggravate them again so so like we said it's a positive thing because it gives us more information but it's we always want to avoid doing that because like we said if we give you a dose every seven to ten days, we can go through seven doses in, in the same amount of time almost in seven weeks. So it makes more sense to go through seven doses and not have a flare and try to find the right dose instead of having a flare and saying, okay, now we know that we're in that and that we're in the right ballpark, but we have to figure out now the actual dose. So to me, it just makes more sense. I always start much more weaker than they should. Like even for the standardized uh, LDAs, the ones that for environmental allergies, they're, they're standardized through the pharmacies. However, I realized with a lot of patients, I I can't give them the standardized um, doses because they flare. Like I, when I first started, I was like, I read the books and all that stuff and I learned, they're like, yeah, just give this every seven weeks and that'll be fine. If you get worse, don't worry, that's how it is. But then I learned from Ty, he's like, no, that's idiotic. You're, you're flaring them, that means they're getting worse, so they need something weaker. Because we're talking about individualized therapy. So we can't standardize and say everybody takes this dose. And that's the whole point behind it. So I'd have to go back, um, separate out every antigen that I would give them. Because sometimes I would give them all three at one time. So I would give them like a food mixture, an inhaler mixture, and a chemical mixture at the same time. Because that's what I was taught. I, I thought that was normal. But then I realized when they flare, which one flared them? I don't know. So it takes more time now to go back, separate them out, and then give them one at a time and see which one flared them. So now I just start more of a very conservative in terms of one at a time. Once we have betterment, we move on to the next one. Or we always start with, for me, I always start with more of the environmental allergies first, and then I go to the microbes because I feel like if you can take off layers, then you have a better chance at really getting a, a, a more massive effect when you're going towards the microbes. And same thing I've realized also with uh, hormones because it's pretty cool. You can desensitize uh, people to hormones. So like people who, when they take estrogen or whatever, they get like horrible symptoms or they feel like anxious or, or de depressed. You give them like the LDI for, for estrogen, it can actually, well, if they're taking the hormone replacements, it can make it work more effectively without the side effects. Or I realized too, I've been using um, progesterone and, and, um, and estrogen a lot with, the, with different females for PMS and their symptoms like 
becoming much more better just from that. So it's really crazy. Sometimes we get lucky when we find the right dose right away because I always you have to give it to them one week before their periods because we have to figure, okay, is it going to work for that time frame or not? So we have to see when their symptoms are coming up. So that's why we, we try to give them at least one week before their period so we can see was there a betterment or a worsening or no change during it so we can see was that the right dose. But with some of the, the women that I've been utilizing it on, they've had pretty – I was kind of shocked by the changes or shifts because one, I remember a case where she had um, – uh, she had really low mood, um, really lack of energy. She had to sleep like 12 to 14 hours during her periods just to have enough energy to get up and eat in a sense. And she had like the, her low mood was a lot. She would just cry like the next four days. And, and she had, I think, breast pain, ovarian pain, and, and, and something else too. But I remember after the first dose I gave her, she's like, she had like 85% betterment with her symptoms during her PMS. So I was like, without giving her hormones, without giving her herbs, anything like that, just with the LDI by itself for estrogen. Wow. So that was pretty cool to me. So I kind of play with a little bit more with different women. And like, and I saw some other symptoms change with them too. I got lucky with the first one because I found the right dose. So that was the one good thing. But if you can, like we say, that's what a showcase. If you can find the right dose of that thing that might be triggering some kind of response, then you have a better chance at actually um, affecting and ameliorating their symptoms overall. Can you talk about some of the, your other uh, case studies or client success stories? I thought the the estrogen improvement or the, the PMS improvement was really, really interesting. Yeah, definitely. Like I, I got that from Dr. Ty because he was telling me, he's like, yeah, you can just try to do that with like anything. Because the whole point of LDI is like, it's not just to, to micros, but it's to anything you have. Because I even had a patient I was co-managing with a psychiatrist. I don't like the psychiatrist wanted me to... to to make a dilution of their actual medication so they can wean off it more easier. So I'm still working with that, but it, that's an interesting idea in terms of trying to wean people off their medications without the actual um, withdrawal symptoms. So yeah. that can be one aspect of work and go to in a sense too. So there's so many possibilities and even like with different sensitivities to specific things and people that are the, that people might have that we can't get a an LDI for, if they bring it in, we can probably make an LDI of it and try it on them too. So there's so many uh, ways of, of looking at this therapy and there's so many ways of actually utilizing it too. So I guess there was an interesting case of like, cause it was, it was very objective. So there is no bias involved, whatever. And it was a case that I have a patient who I think is like a 37 year old male. Um, he has, he has plaque psoriasis. And then also I diagnosed him with, um, gutate psoriasis. People, I don't know if people really know what gutate psoriasis is, but it's more on the torso and it's kind of like these red kind of blobs on the torso and you see like different marks and I kind of just looked at them because I, I remember reading about it and listening from even from Dr. Tai was talking about that specific type of psoriasis and he goes it's strep induced and I remember we did it even a CDSA and I kept seeing strep everywhere on him I just everywhere everything in my mind kept coming strep 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 so I was like okay I gotta try this strep antigen I literally gave it to him the one day that actually is he calls me he takes a picture he's like all my all my marks are gone on my chest so it's pretty like like I mean like there's he goes <laughs> and he's a funny guy he goes because he knows whenever um whenever something gets a little bit better he'll go purposely get a fake tan to see if there's any marks left over uh. so he went to get a fake tan just to see if there's <laughs> any marks left over and there is nothing left he's like this is remarkable and then since then we've only had to give him one more dose and it's been gone for over six months without redosing fantastic so that was pretty cool yeah so that was a cool one because I didn't have to do a lot there I was kind of like wow. But we're st and the interesting thing about him too is that with his kind of he has he has gout, but I consider it more psoriatic arthritis because it's very it it just it goes to every kind of joint almost. But with him, we gave him the yeast mixture, because I, I thought because his symptoms weren't as bad as his um 
uh, as like he's very functional. He's a functional person. He works 12 hour, 14 hours a day. So it didn't seem like he was very sensitive. But I gave him a dose of yeast at 20 C, um, and then he flared like crazy in terms of his arthritis. So it showcased that the yeast was activating his actual arthritis in a sense. So it wasn't just this this gout that it, we just assume because the uric acid levels are high and that's what his conventional doctor told him. But it was the fact that there's there's a mean there's an immune mediated inflammatory condition triggered by yeast. So that was interesting. So we're still now titrating back to kind of see um, what can be an effective dose for him so we can kind of ameliorate some of his, his joint pains too. And so there's there's some interesting stuff there. And then I, I remember also had, uh, even for a child, we had a pediatric patient. Um, they were like pre-asthma because they, they kept coughing. They had nighttime coughs during the day. Breathing was a little bit difficult. But every time the, patient, the mother thought that the child had an infection, but I'd listen to his chest, see him, he didn't seem like he had an infection. Then we, I'm like, but he's probably sensitive to some foods. So we gave him the LDI, sort of the LDA dose for food, food mixture. And within the, the that same night, his his coughing and his uh, ability to not breathe as, as fully was gone. And we've only dosed him twice, and it's been over a year or two for him. So it's kind of like it can be. You, sometimes you can get overnight success with some of the stuff if it's the right stuff. So it showcased that he did have a food sensitivity, and of course we took that out at the same time. But it worked that well in a sense overall, and he hasn't had to get another dose. And his mom even now saying like he looks more brighter, uh, more playful, and all that stuff because even his teachers were complaining about his kind of low mood or his or his, his fatigue just because he couldn't probably breathe as good as he should have. And then there is another case too, I guess, of uh, chronic sinusitis and persistent cough and seasonal allergies um, and also just general allergies like cat dander or animal dander. And again, with with just with the LDA to a certain point, with the environmental allergies, um, desensitizing him to that, like within within a year, he's probably like 90% better now in terms of his symptoms. Like he would get like nighttime cough, morning cough, um, on exertion cough, and he's a paramedic, so he has to he has to work in some dusty places too. And he's always very sensitive and has like his his reactions then. But he's been telling me stories of now he goes into these crazy apartments that are like dusty with cat dander everywhere, and he has no reaction to them in a sense. So it showcases that it can work for many different things. And the interesting thing about him too was that. We used yeast because there was a yeasty picture to him too, and that actually helped um, propel his uh, nasal congestion. So it made it better than it was just with the actual uh, environmental allergens that we used for him. So there's there's a lot of different examples there, I would say, but those are just like some of them um, so far. And there's the complex chronic illness people where they have the, the crazy different symptoms, and it's very hard to kind of uh, focus it. But the best way to do it at this point is kind of through intake and try to figure out what's happening. Um, but there's an interesting thing that there's an interesting lab that that I just kind of heard about now over the last couple of months. It's called Armin Labs. I don't know if you've ever heard about it. But Armin Labs, they do something called the Elispot test, and that's more of a T-cell immune-mediated response to a specific microbe. So it's more specific to what we're trying to achieve in terms of if our theoretical uh, mechanism of action in, in LDI is this T-cell, T-reg-mediated uh, aspect that we can kind of look and see possibly are these um, microbes really triggering the response, and then can we can we use LDI to actually desensitize that based on a test because that's the hardest part right now because you're because you can go through all the different uh ldis available but then it takes a lot of time so we have to really hone in and that's what we're, right now we're just using our clinical intuition in terms of a uh, case taking but if you can use different testing modalities that'll be a great uh, streamlining of the actual therapy too so I like I had some patients who I've inherited from other practitioners who have done these tests, and it's I'm going to start to utilize that and see what happens with it if it actually does correlate at all. But that'll be an interesting thing overall. And the last part also about LDI in general, in terms of the the specific um, 
ones available, you can actually do autologous LDI. So what that means, you can do um, yourself. Uh, you can you can take like uh, saliva samples. You can take uh, urine samples. You can take um, even your some fecal samples, and you can actually make LDIs out of them. Because sometimes we're looking where's the micro that's triggering the event. And that's what we're looking for. So if we think they're they're more in the upper GI or in the in the throat or in the mouth, then we can go in and hone in on there and make an, an autologous one. But of course, you want to first use the standardized ones we have available because if those don't work, then we can go after the we can we can make an autologous one. But because you're gonna go in circles if you try to just think that you're just gonna use an autologous on everybody because it seems really perfect, right? You use an autologous sample, you can desensitize them, and that'll be great because you have the microbe already in the area. But sometimes it's there's a catalytic event that creates this response, but the microbe isn't there anymore. So we can't always we can't always think that way also. So we have to use what we have from our stock. And then if that doesn't work or it fails, then we can go to the kind of autologous samples. And we had one patient, um, She we done a throat swab and a nasal throb. And like we started her, I think, on, on Tensi, and she had a horrible flare. Like, I mean, an excessive one. So just from her own kind of saliva, because she has a complex chronic illness. So I mean, like... Uh, like occipital pain, burning pain, like neuroinflammation in the brain, um, like horrible pain overall. And it was it's pretty crazy um, in terms of what we saw there because it just showcased that even at, at that level in terms of the, the person, they, they, their body is showcasing there is something there and it's creating this, this really aggressive response because usually even when you do autologous samples or if you're doing some of the other LDIs, the, the dose range for that one, for those ones are like from six to like nine. So we were being conservative even, I think we started even at 12. We are being very conservative, but it still was kind of overly too aggressive for them overall. But it showcases that because we found that fact, now that can be beneficial. But of course, the patient gets scared because when they see that, when when they feel that, like those symptoms, and that's not the greatest thing, of course. And that's why we always try to avoid flaring. And that's why taking time sometimes and, and taking a couple more weeks to go through them makes more sense just so we can have more trust. But then some people, of course, some patients, they want to be more aggressive. I tell them the, the consequences of it, but if they want to be more aggressive, of course, I want patients to be part of the therapy and take part in what they're doing. So I give them the decision to do that if they want to. But we just, I always tell them what I think is possible or what I think might be best for them. But if they want to go and do something else too in terms of a different antigen that, that I think, that's fine with me too. I just tell them, I think... If this doesn't work, then we should go back to the the one that I was thinking before. And that's what we kind of do too. So, so, so there's so many stuff. So our underlying reason, the underlying reason for our talk today is malfunctioning immune systems. And autoimmune diseases are the fastest subset uh, or the fastest growing subset of diseases today in the world. A lot of people really suffering from autoimmune disease. Can you talk to me about the reasons why our immune systems are malfunctioning and overreacting to even necessitate LDI? Yeah, so I think like like we were saying before, I think there's a big part, and I think you know a lot about this in terms of toxicity, in terms of heavy metal burdens, but also just toxic burdens on the body, because that dysregulates or deregulates the immune system, and also it creates an an immune-mediated reaction too, where people 
where we become sensitive to the actual metals we're toxic to. So that can create more dysregulation. And at the same time, our environments overall, um, we're not living in the most healthiest environment anymore in terms of our food sources, in terms of what's being grown and how it's grown, GMO, and also different insults in terms of vaccines, in terms of the adjuvants in there. So there's so many insults on the body that it's it's hard to avoid. So, and now the, the newer generation, their, their vitality is much lower than the older generation where they had more ability to kind of withstand the storm in a sense. But now we're just falling and croaking much more easier, like we're saying. Like, look at this. They're, now we're not dying earlier. We're, we're living longer, but we're suffering, if that makes sense. Because we're not, we're not living a, a, a great life anymore. But the, the, the young generation, you see people are getting sick at the 20 and they're, they're for, not, for 10 or 15 years or living with it for the next 20 years. And that's not the way people should be living. So you really see that with this younger generation because uh, the older generation was, for some reason, they just they had a better constitution growing up overall. And now we're just kind of really depleted. And especially with the Wi-Fi and the, the EMF all over too, another burden on the body. And especially when you're heavy metal toxic and you become a um, sensitive in terms of immune sensitive or you, you create a metal allergy then you become an antenna so you're creating more of this this static in the brain and your brain can't function properly so if things are just keep screwing up and at the same time I think the big part for me too is even though I'm not a dentist but teeth I think oral pathology we we can't forget about that aspect because there's there's these low grade infections in the mouth cavitations from root canals um, botched jobs in the mouth even like from jaws to necrosis those are low grade inflammatory um, low grade inflammation and low grade infections that 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 forces the immune system in the wrong direction so it goes to fight after fight after those infections in the mouth but now it's has it's a free-for-all in the rest of the body and it can't even get to them anyways so that's the whole point so we always have to think about every aspect and how much there's so much vulnerability on the person so we have to really be careful in terms of uh, um, what we're going towards in the future because if we keep going this way uh, it's not going to be the greatest for for the next generation after us too so there's so many things that like we can we can talk about in terms of the burden, but it's just these little insults after insults leading to the the fact of what's happening today. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that root canals are a huge, huge cause of people's deterioration of their health and their immune system functioning. And I have a root canal on my front tooth, and I consider what's the lesser of two evils, the root canal or doing uh, an implant, which then can also breed infection and cause cavitations and it's almost like I don't want to mess with it but when it's come out so they've had to redo the canal the root canal at one point and the smell is just when that's open is just heinous it's an active infection and that's happening and on it's on a meridian all of your teeth are connected to a meridian and that is just reverberating out throughout your entire body and uh, impacting your immune system function in so many ways, especially if you have multiple uh, root canals or you have dental work gone bad. Um, I mean, that's a, a big reason I think a lot of people with major health issues have more root canals or even that have cancers. Have Huge, yeah. No, you're, you're definitely right there. Sorry to interrupt because like even my patients, I see them. I The first thing I ask them is, Give me a panoramic of your of your mouth. That's the one of the first things I ask them for. And then you see them. They have uh, like these chronically ill people. They have root canals or they have cavitations or they have just some random dental work done that should never been done. It just makes no sense. And like I think I recently had a patient where they put a mercury amalgam in her mouth in 2014. 
which is ridiculous. And especially in Canada, I think that would be a little bit, I don't know. It just, that's so ridiculous. And she was kind of shocked. It's criminal. Yeah. To do that. It's exactly that. It it makes no sense. And in terms like, like, yeah, you're in all the story. It just makes no sense at all. So it's so ridiculous in terms of how toxic dentistry is. And I think you know this much more too. So we really have to pay attention to who we go to. And we should be all seeing a biological dentist. But at the same time, we should still question them. Because you, you don't know what because a lot of people say I do biological dentistry or I do holistic and that's very different sometimes too. So we have to be pay attention, be cognizant of what kind of procedures they do in the office too. Because are they are they certified in some areas? To, do they have the proper filtration system? Do they have the air air filter systems? Do they actually have been trained to take out mercury amalgams? Because anybody can say I can take them out. Like yeah. yeah, anybody can take them out. But then how what are the repercussions to the system, right? You have to have a detox protocol to go before that and after, and I think you know that for sure. And also in terms of they're if they're very open and free to do root canals, that means they don't really have the mindset. And of course it's root canals is a big issue, I'm not gonna lie, and you know that for a fact. But I mean also for the individual in terms of making the choice to let go of that tooth. It's a big thing, it's not a small thing. So we have to be always play conscious to that fact and and allow the patient to make the choice. We tell them about it. We always like, even with me, I tell them, let's try to do everything else first, whatever we can do. But if we're still stuck at somewhere, we have to go back to the mouth and figure something out. Because that's the whole point. Because sometimes for some people, it's miraculous in terms of like the change just by taking that one tooth out or cleaning out that cavitation, those, especially the wisdom teeth. Because a lot of people, everybody has their wisdom teeth removed. The majority, I would say 80%. And the question is, they usually would do it with epinephrine with the anesthetic, local anesthetic, which would create vasoconstriction. So you have poor blood flow to the area, therefore you create osteonecrosis very easily. So if you're already a poor, if you already have poor circulation, you're decreasing circulation even more. So you're not giving the nutrients to the bone to rebuild. And you have to go clean out down to the bone. So that's the biggest thing too. De- like uh, dental surgeons who don't know about the stuff, you can't just go to anyone because they're not going to clean down to the bone to clean out the infection. So that's the bigger part too. So it's a, dentistry is a hard part to talk about because it, it, it can be very overwhelming, especially an individual. But the cool thing about LDI, which is possible too now, because we were talking about even uh, implants too. I know we know the titanium, people can be sensitive to that. And that's why the malaise test was made overall. But now we're talking about zirconium, but some people still reject that. Their body just rejects it for some reason because it tells them like, it's not, I can't handle it. Get rid of it because I don't want it anymore. But what can be a cool thing possibly, so this is one thing I want to play with in the future because I, I got a titanium implant from a dentist and I scratched some parts of it and, and try to make an LDI out of it because the people who are sensitive to titanium, we can possibly desensitize them in terms of that immune response. And if that's true, then we can take away that inflammatory response, the, those cytokines being released around that actual tooth and hopefully maybe make it more tolerant to the actual uh, to the body. So that's one thing uh, proposed to play with because it's cheap comparatively, right? You just, you try, if it doesn't work, then we have to think about other things. But if it can work, and even if you can show before and after MELISA testing in terms of there's an immune response, but now there's no immune response, that would be a really cool thing. So it's something I'm, I'm going to try in the future too to, to see what, what can be done with it overall. Yeah, I think the MELISA.org tests are, are fantastic to find out if you're sensitive to things or not, especially before... You exactly, have something, yeah. put it in your mouth. There's also ceramic implants out now. And yes. they're also using stem cells to grow grow teeth yeah, as well. 
we are hoping that that'll be a cool one if they can if they can figure that out faster than uh, later. But that's yeah, that that'll be the most ideal if you can use stem cells to regrow the area. But even with uh, I think with implants now, they're, they're, you're supposed to wait six months minimum to help help allow he- healing of the area before actually even doing them. So a lot of people they were doing them right away, right after, which is the, the reason why they were being rejected too by the body, because you can't you have to allow the bone to heal to actually catch in order for actually to have a better chance of that actually um, being a uh, a positive outcome overall too. So, but that'd be cool with the stem cells if they can figure that out faster. Yeah, I heard they're doing it in the Philippines now, but I don't know how advanced it is. So, thank you so much for coming for coming on the show, Dr. Babulas. That was really, really interesting, and I know so many listeners have a lot of ideas that the wheels are really turning right now, thinking of themselves or friends and or family members that could be benefiting from LDI to reduce their symptoms. Um, Why don't you tell the listeners a little bit more about where they can find you and if they can work with you, where you're located, et cetera. Yeah, so you can find me on my website, so www.ureneahealingsolutions.com. Hopefully I have a link there because people can't spell that, I know. Yeah, there'll be a link. (laughs) Want to spell it for people? (laughs) But, well, I'll just say it's E-I-R-I-N-I, then it's healingsolutions.ca. You can contact me by email through there. Um, I can. I always. I always allow people to have 50-minute free appointments with me in terms of just getting an understanding of who I am and how I can help. Because I, I, because I've been through the like, gamut with my sister, I know how much people waste in terms of uh, money on their their med- their medical problems. So I want people to understand if I'm the right fit for them. Because I don't want them to just waste money coming to me and then not being open to what I'm doing or what we can do together. So I really want people to actually be at the forefront of their health and taking charge of their health. That's the biggest thing behind it because we can't wait for doctors to treat us. We have to help ourselves uh, treat ourselves in a sense. That's the whole point. So and then also on Facebook, uh, Irene Human Solutions, that's uh, my fan page there. You can always catch up there and also on uh, Instagram. So that's you can see through my website. You'll see the, the little links there too. Okay, fantastic. And also I would say... One last thing, one last thing. A plug to my sister. You know, like we talked at the front and the starting. Yeah. So healing together on Facebook. That's I think that's a great group for for just patients in general because, like you said, uh, Wendy, there's so much information there, and she really tries to get people engaged. And it's not about one person just learning, but it's about the it's about global healing. And the whole purpose of it is to actually get ideas out there from different patients because everybody's done so many different things. So we don't know what really works as well, right? But if we can get different ideas out there and then maybe that one therapy that one person did in another part of the world might be beneficial to this person in this other part of the world. So that's the whole point of what we're trying to do. So the more ideas we out there, the bigger the 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 consciousness, the better um we have an ability to change the paradigm. And that's the bigger thing. It's the paradigm in health we're trying to do right now and change it because it's not working for us and we're seeing it. And like you said, autoimmune conditions, chronic illness, it makes no sense. So we have to really rethink our approach to health. And that's why I appreciate what you do every day in terms of even with your nest now too, in terms of the, the energetic aspect of stuff because it's a huge part like you were saying earlier. So we really have to to go to that next level of, of healing and that can be a big part of our future um, health outcomes in terms of energetic uh, healing. Yes, because, uh, you know, bioenergetic medicine is the future of medicine. And we know that, you know, using bioenergetics, you can help to modulate your immune system and get it functioning better as well. There's lots of different approaches that work for different people. Exactly. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. So appreciate it. Definitely go visit Dr. Babulis' website. You can visit his sister's Facebook page at Healing Together on Facebook. 
Thank you so much for listening. I hope that this podcast helped you make some distinctions to get your life back, to improve your energy levels, and to dramatically improve your life. My name is Wendy Myers. Thank you so much for listening.